What would the world be like if more of us live by this principle? Do the right things for the right reasons. Do the right things for the right reasons. In other words, the message matches the motives. The message matches the motives. We're about to see a historical example recorded in the Bible from, from Paul, a founding father of our faith, who did the right things for the right reasons, but there were people who were injecting skepticism, criticism, in an attempt to raise doubt. They wanted people who heard Paul's message to doubt his message. This is where we get back into our Sunday evening series on 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, Foundations for a Healthy Life. If you've brought your Bible tonight in paper or on your device, I invite you to open up or power up. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight. So let's jump right in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul, in this letter to the church in Thessalonica, says, we were roughed up in Philippi before we got to you. If you want to read all about what happened to Paul and his traveling companions in Philippi, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. But the quick summary is this. They were flogged. They were whipped. They were lashed at the hands of Roman soldiers in Philippi. Their feet were put in stocks while they were confined in a city prison. Well, that specific type of thing has probably not happened to you. When Paul writes, we had already suffered and been shamefully treated, that is speaking to someone here. You've been mistreated, and it's not fair. You were hurt, possibly even abused. Someone took advantage of you. What they did to you caused physical, emotional, or even spiritual suffering. Or when Paul writes, in the midst of suffering, that may also be speaking to you tonight. Maybe you're in a tension situation right now. Tension. There's conflict in your marriage. There's conflict in your extended family. There's conflict at work. Or maybe it's not happening to you personally, but you see what's happening in the world. And you'd say, we are living in a world where we are in the midst of conflict. When we suffered, when we've been shamefully treated, in the midst of conflict, that may feel like it's a good time to shut down, to isolate. You've got hurt before, so you don't want to go back in again. Well, Paul writes, even though we've suffered, even though we've been shamefully treated, even though it was in the middle of conflict, we had much boldness in ourselves, no, in our God. To do what? To declare the gospel. This is doing the right thing. This is doing the right thing. Setback, setbacks have the potential to sideline you and me. Setbacks have the potential to sideline us. I'm not 
going through that again, so I'm just going to sit out. But here's what many of us have tasted. Setbacks are often the setup. Setbacks are often the setup. Right after the setbacks, in the midst of conflict, Paul does the right thing. He declares the gospel. He shares the message of Christ. The simple but life-changing message. Sin separates us from God, and we've all sinned. We cannot earn our way back to God by our own good works, but God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And when we place our faith in him, when we declare Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a newfound freedom, and we have hope for now and for eternity. That is the gospel. That is the message that Paul brought to Thessalonica. So the right thing in the power of the Holy Spirit, refusing to allow past hurts to hold us back from doing what God has specially and specifically designed each and every one of us to do. Paul writes, we bounced back after a setback. We bounced back after a setback. We brought a life-changing message. At the time of this writing, Paul had now left Thessalonica, and based on what Paul writes next, it's clear that someone is raising doubts and skepticism and causing these new Christ followers to question the life change that has happened in them. Watch this, verses three and four. For our appeal, for our appeal, Paul says, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now, if Paul says this is not what's happening, what were the skeptics and the critics accusing him of? Error, impurity, or attempts to deceive. So Paul has to refute them. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Fill in the blank there, as people around you might be telling you. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Someone was raising doubts in Thessalonica. The message that Paul spoke to you is an error, they were saying. The message is coming from a corrupt heart, they're saying. Paul is trying to deceive you, they're saying. Before we jump on and pile on and make all kinds of assumptions about the critics and the skeptics and the opponents, this is really important to understand why Paul is writing what he needs to write to Thessalonica, and then there's a connection to us today. See, here's what you need to know about what was happening in Thessalonica at the time that Paul brought the message. There was a huge variety of religious beliefs and traditions and philosophies in Thessalonica. Because of where the city was on the map, there was people that traveled through. And so there were, uh, this was a city that was very familiar with persuasive people trying to lure others into different traditions, philosophies, and traditions. And so the people trying to raise doubts would have been saying, Paul is just like all the others. Paul is just like all the others. It's a city where people had experienced being burned by spiritual, spiritual influencers who took advantage, took the money, and took off. 
So when we know that, we, when we know that that's what was happening in Thessalonica, it helps us understand why Paul needs to say what he says. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. That's not what we are about. So jump forward to today. Let's be careful when we jump on today's critics and skeptics and opponents because it's possible that the reason that they are a skeptic, a critic, or an opponent to the gospel is because of something that's happened in their life. It's possible that they were burned or you were burned. It's possible that someone used the cover of religion to hurt you or you were hurt by someone, maybe even with a spiritual title who was supposed to be safe. And you would say that because of that, or someone in your life, because of that, that's why there is a skepticism or a doubt. So Paul, confronting the doubts and the skepticism and criticism says, we're not here to please man, we're here to please God. By the way, he's the one, God is the one. See, you're trying to test our hearts, but at the end of the day, Paul says, it's God who is the test of our heart to see if our message is accurate and our motive is pure. Paul says, the driving reason, whatever you think the reason may be, we want you to know the driving reason that we came to you was to please God. That was our motivation. Now, there are times when you and, our, and I, in our lives, this is a, the great times are when we can do things and we can both please people and please God at the same time. It's both and. We say things, we do things that are both pleasing to God and pleasing to people. The tough time comes when those conflict. When pleasing God is opposed to pleasing people. We have a choice. Here's what I know about you and me. When we look back on all the decisions of our life, we are thankful for our God-pleasing decisions. As you look back on those days, you are thankful when you responded God's way. You are thankful when you chose to honor God with the words you spoke and the actions you took. The opposite is not true. As you reflect back on past conversations and past actions, when pleasing God and pleasing people became conflicting options, you are not thankful for the moments that you chose to please people over please, pleasing God. It may have been good in the moment, but as you look back on those decisions, no one says, you know what, looking back, I'm really thankful for all those moments that I did what was wrong in God's eyes in order to please people. I would do it that way again. We wish that we could have those back. We wish that we could have some do-overs. Now watch what Paul says next. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Flattery. Flattery is giving compliments, it's being friendly, it's encouraging someone with an ultimate motive to receive something in return. Flattery is compliments, encouragement, all that, but it's a, it's a packaging for some ulterior motive. Greed is the desire not to glorify God, but rather for selfish gain. 
Those outside the church, looking into the church, have a problem when they see this inside the church. Those on the outside looking in have a problem when pastors or leaders or someone else use the preaching of the gospel, but their central desire is to personally profit. If you're on the outside looking in, and that's a criticism that you have of the church, we want you to know those of us inside the church, we have a problem with that as well. We don't like it when people use a covering of the gospel for personal profit. Paul, once again, confronting greed and flattery, he says, that's not what we were about, and there's more. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul says, it's not about my glory. That's not what I'm after. Paul has left Thessalonica, and in his absence, the skeptics, the critics, and the opponents are raising doubts amongst these brand new believers in this young church in Thessalonica. So Paul challenges the church in Thessalonica. He says, you're hearing these people that are trying to raise doubts. I want you to go back. I want you to go back to the moment when you heard that message of Christ crucified and resurrected. Verses 7 and 8. Paul says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. What a powerful visual picture a baby being nursed by a mother. Now, you have to be very confident in where you stand as an adult to say to another adult, you know what our relationship is like? I was like your nursing mother. (laughs) Moms, You could tell us, of course, much better than I could. What do we know about nursing? It's time consuming. It's on the newborn's terms. Mom doesn't get to write in the windows of the day when the nursing is gonna happen. The baby decides. But out of love, mom responds when needed. In fact, mom must often stop whatever she is doing for the baby's needs. During the season of nursing, it's all in. There's no abandonment. The baby's life is your life. Moms will say, yes, it's physically demanding. Yes, it's exhausting. But you're nursing now or you're nursed then out of an abundant love for that baby. That's why you did it. A mother nursing an infant is intended for the first season of life. It is a dependency, but not a forever dependency. There is an age when nursing becomes weird. I'm not going to say what age I think it is because I don't want to get any emails. But there's an age when it becomes weird. Weird. 
Paul says, here's the motive. You were spiritually in need. We wanted you to know the truth, but we also wanted you to strengthen you to the point where you could succeed without us. Paul is rapid firing at all these possible doubts that could possibly being, that are possibly being raised in, in Thessalonica. And they might say, Paul, you talk the talk, but do you walk the walk? How do we know that you're different? What proof do you have that your motives are pure? Verse nine, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, in Paul's missionary journeys, there were churches along the way who provided financial support for the work to continue, but this was not the case in Thessalonica. Paul gave that up. He didn't take any support. He worked to earn a living for the purpose of making sure that no one would question his motives. The critics, the skeptics, and the opponents speaking doubt into the Thessalonian church, they may have said, well, Paul is just after your money. Paul reminds these believers who have had a supernatural, life-changing encounter with God, do you remember what I did? Anyone who's saying that to you, do you remember what I did? Because of the specific situation in Thessalonica, I didn't take any financial support with you. I worked early in the morning and then I took a second job at night to demonstrate the purity of my heart. I delivered milk in the morning and then I washed dishes at Denny's at night, preaching the gospel to you somewhere in the middle. That part about Denny's that's not in the Bible. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul, in describing the way that he lives, or that he lived, he challenges you and I in the way that we live. The way we treated you. Holy, that means set apart, set apart from the world's ways. Holy, righteous, always desiring to do what is right in God's eyes. Blameless, Paul says, look at how we lived. You cannot find anything in the way that we lived among you that you could accuse me of having the wrong motives. Paul is at peace with challenging people to imitate his life. That's a big deal. Paul has peace with challenging people to imitate his life. Holy, righteous, blameless, those are qualities worth imitating. Okay, let's look in the mirror. Could people who you and I are in relationship with, could they say this about us? Could strangers say this of our interactions with them? Would you and I, would we be at peace with people imitating our life? Here's a better question. Is there any area, big or small, in my life or your life where we would say, you know what? I really wouldn't want my children imitating this area of my life. Or maybe all this, I'd be happy with my children or grandchildren imitating all this, but then there's this little part. I really wouldn't want them imitating this area of my life. Well, whatever this area is, whether it's this or this, that's where we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work on us. And we all have something. We all have something. Paul says, we did not bring a false message. There was no impurity in our motives. We weren't there for selfish gain. We did not use flattery. We did not deceive you. We shared the message. We lived life with you. And now this, verse 11. For you know how. 
like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here's what we did, Paul says. We wanted something for you, not from you. Another parenting example, we were like a good father with their children. We exhorted, we encouraged, we, ch we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Now Paul is not giving a parenting seminar, but this is good parenting advice. When it comes to your own children, exhort, encourage, charge, challenge them, motivate them to walk in a way that is worthy of God. Paul describes, what Paul describes in verse 11 and 12 there, if you do this as moms and dads, if we do this as moms and dads, we will be heading in the right direction with our kids. Challenging them, motivating them to walk in a way that is worthy of God. This all builds up to Paul's description of the results. Verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So remember, this is a place where the doubters, the skeptics, all this speaking into their lives. Paul says, do you remember? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember what happened when we came to you? The Thessalonians became believers. Why? Because once again, it's not about Paul. It's about God. Paul is not the source of the content he taught. God is the source. The Thessalonians, they recognized this. They saw the message for what it was, not a message manufactured by man for some impure motives, but a message from God. Some people today are making a lot of money, getting a lot of attention for the opinion, opinions they share on Instagram and Facebook. And for everyone who's actually making money, being an influencer on Facebook and Instagram or whatever other social media platform, there are a thousand others who are trying to. Many, many people spinning their wheels trying to become an influencer on social media. We want you to know that this is a place, this church is a place where you do not come to hear the opinions of people. This is a place where you come to hear the word of God. Well, what happened next in Thessalonica? So Paul came, they preached a message from God, the people had a transforming experience, then the Thessalonians became believers and they all got rich. Then the Thessalonians became believers and everyone liked them and their kids got elected to homecoming court. The Thessalonians became believers and they lived happily ever after, never facing another difficulty. Not quite. Verses 14 through 16. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered. You suffered. 
the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. The message was so life-changing. The message was so freedom-giving. This message brought so much hope that the church in Thessalonica was willing to endure suffering. They preferred suffering over abandoning Christ. You're not alone, Paul says. He has reports of what's happening in Thessalonica. Churches being willing to endure suffering rather than abandon Christ. This is happening in community after community, Paul's hearing. People would rather suffer than abandon Christ. Could this be said today of you and me, church? Would we be willing to suffer rather than abandon our relationship with Christ? Paul also points this out. The people who were cruel to Christians eventually experienced wrath. Wrath, I know that I don't want to experience this, especially God's version of it. God does not take kindly to people who take advantage of his sons and daughters. There is a season where you may get away with it. There is a season where you may get away with taking advantage of God's people. But without repentance and heart change, a day of consequence will come. A day of consequence will come. There's one last issue that Paul brings up, one last accusation that the skeptics, critics, and opponents were perhaps raising against him in an attempt to raise enough doubt to get the believers to abandon their faith. Paul, if you care so much, like a mother nursing an infant, like a father who loves their child, Paul, if you are a spiritual leader who's not just to here today, gone tomorrow for your own selfish gain, then Paul, where are you? Why aren't you here? Paul writes this, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. If you know the story of what happened in Thessalonica, they were driven by violence outside the city. They were driven by violence to leave. Paul says, yes, I'm separate from you, physically, but not in the heart. We're trying to get to you. It's not a desire problem. In fact, it is with great desire that Paul wants to be face to face with the people. What Paul writes here lands on the heart of what is happening for many pastors today, very much for our pastoral team, a longing to be with the people face to face. If you're watching at home by choice or by mandate, if you're part of this church or another church, we want you to know that your pastor longs to see you. 
Your pastor has a great desire to see you face to face. This is certainly the desire of our pastor. It's my desire. It's the desire of our pastoral staff. We want to see you face to face. And no one is asking you to do anything unsafe or against any mandate. That's not the point. We would encourage you to get to the green light of returning as fast as possible, whatever that means in your situation. Okay. I'm really excited for this last part. So if maybe your mind has wandered a little bit, you've been looking over at the lawnmower. <laughs> Don't miss this last part because I think this is really good. It's, it's really good, I promise. Powerful. It's powerful because it's an example of how God uses what the enemy intends for evil and turns it for good. What did Paul say? He said, Satan is hindering us from getting to you. 2,000 years ago, Paul says, Satan is hindering us from getting to you. This is not a reason that flies in all situations. Let's be really sure before we give this as a reason. Why is it that you only are able to make it to church one Sunday out of every four? Satan is hindering us. I don't think so. For a season, the enemy has the power to dis delay and disrupt. For a season. For a season, the enemy has the power to delay and disrupt. But you know what? We've read the rest of the Bible and we know how the story ends. The good, here it is, okay. This is so good. Paul still finds a way to communicate with the people in Thessalonica. Satan hindered him from being there physically, but Paul still finds a way to communicate with the church in Thessalonica. How do we know this? How do we know that he was still able to communicate with them? Because we have the letter. It's called 1 Thessalonians, and it's in your Bible. We have the communication. We have the letter. All right, follow me in this. If Paul had not been hindered, Maybe he would have got to Thessalonica and all the things that we have in our Bible in 1 Thessalonians, maybe Paul would have said all those things in person and it would have been for one audience at one time. Are you with me? But because we have this writing in our Bible, Satan's attempts to hinder Paul may be the reason that we now have 1 Thessalonians. Instead of stopping the work of God, Paul's work is multiplied. Instead of helping one church, Paul writes a message that helps all churches then and is helping us today. So yes, the enemy may have succeeded in delaying Paul from reaching Thessalonica, but in that delay, Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, a message that impacted lives then and 2,000 years later has been read all over the world in hundreds of languages by millions and millions of people, including this gathering right here tonight in Salem, Oregon. Now watch how Paul ends this. Listen to the heart of a spiritual father, a spiritual mentor, a disciple maker. Verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. 
Now we may not be sure how the precise details of how this is going to all transpire when Jesus returns. But here's what we do know. Paul says when Jesus returns, he says this to the church in Thessalonica, if there's an opportunity when Jesus returns for me to brag, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to brag about you. Wow. Wow. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Do you want to know how you could really give a boost to somebody? If you've been disciple making, if you've been speaking truth into someone's life, if you were to tell them this, you know what? If I ever have an opportunity to brag to Jesus Christ, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to brag about you. Wow. When the day comes and I see Jesus, I want to tell him all about you because you are our glory and joy. Wow. Worship team, I'm going to invite you to come as we, we're going to get ready to sing. If you're able, I'm going to encourage you to get ready to jump up out of your seats as we're going to worship God tonight. As the worship team is coming, there are three people who I want to pray for. The first person is this, the one who has had an undeniable encounter with God. You have had that moment, but you have allowed a voice or multiple voices inside or outside to raise doubts or questions. Let me point you the way that Paul pointed back to the Thessalonians. Remember the life change that happened inside of you. Remember that. Remember that that life change that occurred in you, it was not something that was manufactured by man. That was something that came as the result of the preaching of the word. That life change was real. Don't allow the skeptics and the opponents and critics to tell you otherwise. What occurred in you was the real deal. The voices that are raising questions and doubts, it's time to say, what happened in you is not from man's manipulation. It's from the power of God working in your soul. The second person is this one. The second person is the one who would say, you know what, if I was truly honest, there are moments when I've actually manipulated the word of God, knowingly making it something it's not for the purpose of getting what I want. Maybe it's in one relationship, maybe it's in more than one relationship, and you would concede tonight that your motives have not been entirely pure. There are times when possibly you've done the right thing, but if someone were able to investigate your soul, they would see that it was for the wrong reason. You'd say that you gave or you did something, you encouraged somebody, but the primary expectation was that you would get something on the other end of that. The third person is this. Tonight you're saying that you are having that life-changing, life-transforming encounter with your Heavenly Father. As you've heard us describe the gospel that's done something in you, just like it, it did in the hearts of the Thessalonians all those years ago, there's a transformation happening in your heart. And tonight is the night that you like to give your life to Christ. 
Let me invite you to close your eyes for just a moment and reflect on how God is speaking to your heart tonight. If you have allowed skeptics or critics or that one nagging relative to raise all kind of doubts inside of you, let me take you back to the moment that you got saved. That was a real moment. That was not manufactured. Stand on the event that happened inside of you. Stand on the real transformation. You know, sometimes after we've been a Christian or a Christ follower for a while, we can forget about all the things that God set us free from. Do you remember all the things that God set you free from? That could not have been manufactured by a person. That was real and that came from God. You are a child of God. For the one tonight, and I think this is a moment of boldness where you would admit in some way your motives have not been pure. You've used flattery. You've said the right things, but the reasons have been impure. Let me encourage you right now to ask your heavenly father for forgiveness. Say, forgive me, father, purify my heart. You know that God is good to do that? Our God, he loves you so much that like a refining fire, he will purify you if you allow him. And maybe there are some tangible steps that God wants you to take as a result. And you know what those are right now. In the name of Jesus, may the person who says, I, I need to right some wrongs. I need to purify my intentions. Father, give them the boldness to follow through on what you've asked them to follow through on tonight. And for the one tonight who would say that tonight is the night that I want to give my life to Christ, I'm sensing something inside of me and you know that what's happening in you right now, it's, it could not be manufactured by God. What's happening in you right now is a transformation. It's God calling you to relationship with him. That's a spiritual moment between you and your heavenly father. If tonight is the night that you want to give your life to Christ, just so I know how to pray for you, right now in this room, would you lift up a hand and look at me? Who would give their life to Christ tonight? The moment you want to give your life to Christ, you just say, Father, forgive me for my sins. Tell him that you realize that your sin separates you from him. And say, today is the day I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Thank him for the spiritual transformation that he's working in you. And tell your heavenly Father that it's your desire to live the rest of your days pursuing Jesus Christ and thank him for the hope that he gives you for now and for eternity.